you like movies that I'm here to say, then this is the show for you, okay? It's called the best movie to a Jimmy Allen tone, so don't touch that dial, turn off your phone. Grab a sweet song, mix up popping corn, from Rosebud to Laughter to Jason Bourne, Meryl Streep to Kirk Russell to Dennis Hopper, and don't forget, y'all. This is the chopper! Uh, now we'll just go straight to it. Hello and welcome to the Best Movie 2 podcast, the podcast that answers the question, what is the best movie to watch in any given situation? And today we are answering the question, what is the best movie to psychoanalyze if you want to get into the minds and mentality of your actors and characters? And we've got Dr. Natalie Corley today. Hi, Dr. Natalie. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're you're our first doctor. Normally it's loser comedians that we've got on here, but you're actually a professional. Well... It's a real privilege, but I hope it's <laughs> as entertaining. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they're not very good comedians, so don't we? <laughs> um, so what, what are you a doctor of? Um, so I'm a counselling psychologist, which oh. confuses people, really, because there's clinical psychologist, forensic psychiatrist. But I am, um, yeah, I, I do counselling and I do some assessment and stuff, so... So counselling, that's like if somebody actually needs a psychologist and not just like, I'm feeling a bit glum, I think I need, I need my chakras testing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if a psychologist was just recommending that for mental illness, I would be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you ever tempted, like if, if, if you were on a plane and someone was like, we need a doctor, would you be tempted to be like, well, technically? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> I can't help, but I can ask you how you feel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you being shot, how does that make you feel? How does, yeah. How do you feel about your father in this moment? <laughs> hey, do you know you joke? You recommended me to a therapist once, and I made the joke in the first session of saying, Oh God, you're probably gonna start like, how do you feel about your dad? And they were like, Well, how do you feel about your dad? Yeah. I was like, no, 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 I don't <laughs> They're like, oh, it's funny you should mention that. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that he's in the room with us. Uh, <laughs> holding your yeah, hand. Does he have to pay? <laughs> I think you sent me to a prostitute. I think that's what it was. Um, <laughs> right, movies. So yeah. a, a lot a lot of time when we get people who are in a profession, like obviously I'm a stand-up, so when we see people do stand-up in movies, we're like, that's not that's not how it works. So those people wouldn't be laughing and clapping. They're normally booing. Well, um, do you, does that happen? If you see like a therapy situation in a movie, would you be like, God, that is fucking awful information? Or can you can you take yourself out of that and just enjoy the film? Yeah, I think it actually doesn't happen that much in film because I think people find it quite boring. Um, although it's becoming more popular now, I think. I think the most famous one's probably the one from The Sopranos. Yeah. Um, and I th- didn't she end up having an affair with him in the end? Well, that was what I was going to ask a follow-up. Um, it, do you have to cure the person before you can start sleeping with them? <laughs> It's recommended. Right. <laughs> That's chapter eight is. Um, but what I think what, what The Sopranos allowed it to do is that it's long-form storytelling because it's a TV show, mm. whereas films have to condense it all, don't they? So I think people who just see therapists in movies have this idea that there's always going to be this, like, one breakthrough yes, moment. that changes everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've seen Goodwill Hunting, but that has a moment where... Robin Williams just grabs uh, Matt Damon, speaking of sleeping with them, um, where he just grabs him and tells, tells him that all the problems in his past are not his fault. And it's this amazing scene that probably won Robin Williams the Oscar. 
But as a therapist, you must be like, no, it takes years and years to break down. Like he was an abused kid and he's a genius. Yeah. Or, or is it just the case that you do just have that one fix it moment and go, oh, fuck it, you're done. <laughs> Cured. No, you definitely do have aha moments that are powerful. But like you say, there's not that one thing someone says that just erases all the trauma. But yeah. I'm sure they've borrowed that for loads of follow-up films where they make them shout it's not my fault. It's not say it loud. It's not my fault, and that's like the cure all. Whereas, do you, are you the opposite? Where it's like this is definitely your fault. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but same question reverse. Actually, I was thinking about this before today. When they show comedy in film and TV, so um, I don't know if you've seen or heard about the latest Sex in the City, just like that. Uh, I know that big dies on a peloton. Uh, yeah. spoiler. spoilers but, for Sex in the City to all the fans. Yeah, ruined it. <laughs> but if there's um yeah, there's a stand-up scene in that and she goes on stage and Well, Carrie. Oh no, it's um it's not one of the main characters. Who is it? Oh, it's Che. It's Che, it's a new radio DJ. Oh, and wow. they go, they are a stand-up comedian, and um they say things and everybody's laughing and cheering, and it's really like bog standard. Not funny. <laughs> and I always think, how do comedians feel watching that? Uh, just jealous, absolutely raged-filled jealousy. When you see... The thing is, comedians, when, when you see comedy on movies, it tends to be, like, theatre, like, really successful. Even open mics tend to be, like, 150 people in there. Yeah, always. Uh, whereas I think you... Like, I know you for a comedian, so you've been to comedy gigs where it's, like, six people in the room. Yeah, and every and every joke has just died, and you kind of well. If anyone needs therapists, it's the people who put <laughs> yeah. themselves through that. <laughs> Have well, you ever been tempted? I know we're I know we're wandering away from movies here, but this is it's fine for us to waffle. Have yeah, you ever sorry. been tempted to just uh, offer help out to people who are like, I'm going to go stand in a room instead of set up like meaningful relationships uh, and a career. I'm going to stand in a room full of like six people and pay seven pound a pint. To tell jokes about my dick. Well, they, there's that um, stereotype, isn't there, that there's a lot of darkness in comedians often. Although the ones I know, not the case. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I think about shows like that is, why don't they just get a stand-up to write a couple of minutes of good material and then it would be more believable? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll jump ahead for a bit because I think one of the films we're going to talk about is Joker. Mm. And they actually have – there's there's two professional stand-ups that are popular now. Uh, Gary Goldman and uh, Sam Morrill play the two comedians that you see on stage before Whacking oh, right. Phoenix, and that's mm -hmm. why it feels more authentic. Right. Because they're just doing material. Okay. Yeah, so they've actually done it quite well. So I suppose in the same way, when we see a therapist in movies, why don't they just get a therapist? Why don't they just get you? <laughs> <laughs> to say this is what would be said. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. can be, like, I remember the therapy advice you gave me, which was um, you eating your feelings. So just try and fast for like five days, see what happens. <laughs> um, and also people will be, like, someone's out there who will be attracted to you once you lose the weight. That's what you said. I will be stressed <laughs> Uh, so who's your favourite race to uh, give therapy to? <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I know you've already told me that off, off, uh, off audio. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess can you – can you not just therapy, but just 
characters in general when you're watching a film mm. you know have you got that like i can fix them mentality not i can fix them but i'm always trying to second guess always trying to work out what the depth is or what's what you'd uh, diagnose them with i think that's why i like films like joker because there's loads of little questions scattered throughout that that i think what is the answer to that like you think the the answer is to sit in a in a cold room smoking a cigarette going, yeah, we've had our budget cut, so fuck off. <laughs> yeah, that is a that is a really harsh depiction because she doesn't listen to him at all, does she? What? The, do you mean the therapist, Joker's therapist? That was, <laughs> that was an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so I guess also the depiction of therapist in movies tends to be really negative like that. Like, I know that she represents a whole... Um, she represents the organization of, you know, the not just, not the government, but the system. Yeah. Um, so it has to be, if it was that one person who cared about them, they'd be like a stand-up and not a standout, not a representation of of that kind yeah. of system. So she kind of has to be a, a prick. Yeah. Because yeah. It, she's the mouthpiece of the system that doesn't care about them. But what I was thinking about in that a little bit deeper is she says to him, you're on seven medications. They must be doing something. So my first question is, obviously, what's a, what are the seven medications? But secondly, who's funding that in that city? <laughs> because there's clearly not like a national health service. Well, yeah, it's weird. That that was the thing is, yeah, because we just take it for granted that, you know, we get meds for free over here. But mm-hmm. I, I don't <laughs> – seeing as his job seems to be the non-existent – Union of Clowns. <laughs> they they go. They seem to go to like a a room with some lockers, and there's there's one guy there who's like, "You've got a job down in a kids' hospital today," or I don't think that's a job. Where like eight or ten clowns just gather <laughs> and get their jobs for the day, as if they're like removal men. Yeah. Um. But the, given the situation like that, I can't imagine they've got any kind of medical insurance. Yeah, and are they being DBS checks? Because <laughs> doesn't he take a gun in? He does, but remember, these are American kids, so he's probably just defend himself. <laughs> well, what would happen if you took a gun into one of your sessions? Well, just to mix things up. Um, definitely, we're looking at being struck off again. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. God, this really is the woke cook country, isn't it, that we're afraid of? There's actually, you don't need to have seen it, but have you seen Fight Club? Yes, but a long time ago. There's, there's a moment in Fight Club where they kidnap a guy who works in a petrol station and they drag him outside, they put a gun to his head and Brad Pitt says to him, if you don't finish school, I'll come back and I'll kill you. Um, you know, stop working in this garage. You need to go finish school and have a great life. If you don't, I know your address, I'll come and I'll kill you. And the guy runs off and Brad Pitt's like, that guy is going to have the greatest day of his life tomorrow. When he eats food, it's going to taste better than anything we'll ever taste. Is that real or is that guy just going to be afraid to leave the house in the future? <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's like um, they used to do flooding. You know, like if, say, you were really scared of clowns, they put you in a caravan full of clowns <laughs> for four hours. And then they'd be like, after that, it'll be fine. <laughs> I think I've had that done to me. In in Cornwall, <laughs> I thought you were going to say in Edinburgh. No, I I was really really afraid of my uncles when they were drunk. 
Uh, and I've been put in a room with my uncle's leather joint <laughs> in a caravan. Of he needs to acclimatise. <laughs> Does that work then, that, that thing of... It was really popular, I think, in like the 70s or 80s, but now I think people are realising that it can just traumatise people. That's what tends to happen is there'll be a trend within the therapy world, mm. but they were like kind of screenwriters won't catch wind of it until about 10 or 15 years later when it's on its way out. Yeah. So we do have that kind of, I'm sure films have had like the, oh, you're afraid of balloons, so here's a balloon. Yeah. You're, you're afraid of your wife being kidnapped and you being locked in the tower, so here's your wife getting kidnapped, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But there's no, there's no evidence to prove that that's, that's accurate. No. I mean, you, when we talked about this podcast, we watched that bonkers Bruce Willis film. What was it called? The, the Line of... Colour, Colour of Night. Col- yeah. And in that... Um, the lack of research they've done is bonkers. <laughs> so this is so this this is not a well-known film, right. uh, and I'm actually I'm really I'm really proud that you've watched this because yeah. uh, I just told you about it. I wasn't expecting you to go actually watch it. But Bruce Willis plays a therapist in it. He's still very sexy because he's Bruce Willis. He is, yeah. Uh, it's early nineties. He's at the height of his powers, so it's mad that he would choose to do this over like the big blockbusters. But I think he just wanted to do like an erotic acting acting you're going to be able to act in this mm-hmm. but it is shite as well isn't it <laughs> it is terrible but they they have a group therapy session and they put people with all different <laughs> yeah. and they're just like you'll find some common ground well i think that obviously that it's more exciting isn't it you know it's like an escape room you want you want the angry <laughs> one you want the smart one you want the sexy one you know, you, you don't want everyone to have the exact same affliction, discussing those afflictions. It's like with AA, you put, you know, someone who's on crack, someone yeah. who's said booze. Because um, otherwise the, the conversations just get boring, don't mm. they? Yeah. You don't want to normalise things or make people feel less alone. You want people to feel like they belong in this chaos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and also, if, you, if you're hearing like two people who are like, this is my trauma, I was abused. You get into the next one being like, oh, well, you know, I know to you, your one sounds exciting, but we are running down the clock on this session. And <laughs> yeah. are, you, are you just going to give us, I was abused again? <laughs> Come up with a different answer. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, in the film, he's he's a therapist. His best friend is murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, so he decides, and the police are like, we think the murderer is in this group. In because group. Of, all therapists only ever run one group at a time, I assume. So he just works for like one hour of the week. Yeah. Um, it's a Monday night as well. <laughs> so he, it's America, he's missing Monday night football in America. Yeah. Um, I know it's a, there's a difference between American and British, but can you imagine the best friend of a therapist who had been murdered going, um, I'll, I'll take his patients off your yeah. hands for you. Uh, one of them... One of them's murdered my friend as well. Yeah, do it about that. I'm not too close to it. <laughs> I mean, is there is there something kind of, would there be something that stepped in going, you have an emotional attachment to this group? Absolutely. No. Yeah, because he could have done harm. And actually, in the very first instance of him taking over the group, he starts crying and talking about <laughs> his own, <laughs> how he led a woman to her death. <laughs> and, he, and he makes it up as well. <laughs> yeah, so he makes it all about himself. <laughs> and you've you've told me before that men crying is one of the most disgusting things 
as a therapist when, when, as a therapist when men cry you normally roll your eyes don't you and be like oh come on <laughs> i've seen you diagnose has given me the right ick is that is that right you've diagnosed someone as giving you the right ick <laughs> written that down so yeah yeah <laughs> open it when you get home but yeah no, you're right like the, he's not he's not very professional because he the start of the film he, he's not a great therapist because someone jumps out the window in front of him. And that's why it's called Colour of Night because he can't see the colour red anymore because he sees the colour red mm-hmm. because it's her blood. Mm. And then he's like, oh, that's a bit, that'll remind me of that. Is that a thing that can happen, by the way? Um, I was thinking about this. I don't think it would be as selective, but people have, there was a really famous case that Freud had where um, a woman walked in on her dad with a prostitute and then after that, she went blind, but, it, but there was no organic cause for it. She just couldn't see, and it's because she was so traumatized. What I don't know that? if you could go colorblind. <laughs> I, I guess the film would be ruined if he went completely blind. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a bit where he goes for a bike ride. <laughs> just goes off the cliff. Oh, that's it. Oh, also, they're all shagging in the group as well. Which Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's... Again, as a therapist, wouldn't you pick up on that? Yeah. And also, that should be one of the ground rules. Because <laughs> isn't one of them's a sex addict? Yeah. <laughs> so... And again, all being treated once. I think one has been forced into gender reassignment once. Uh, obviously, he's mal- he's crying because someone dropped out a window. And yeah, there's a sex addict. Uh, so they would go, yeah, you're all in one group. Yeah. This will is work it, out fine. Is it like when you start a new job and they just do like breakout spaces and they're like, okay, it'll be more fun if you guys go here because you've been quiet, so we're going to put you with the noisy group. Mix it up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you encourage that group to go out on the lash to kind of let loose? Is one of them a recovering alcoholic? Or oh, well, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe not. <laughs> but, I mean, we've talked about this before as well. People who are like recovering from an addiction you've said it's kind of it's okay around christmas time to just <laughs> just if you tell me oh my god if i get through this <laughs> <I'm getting stressed. laughs> um oh what I would what I would like have you seen um signs and lamps yes so there, there's an odd one about that because hannibal eck did we forget is a therapist himself yeah is he a psychiatrist he is yeah but can you do that without empathy? Can you? Because he he's a he's psychotic. He has uh, mm. is a psychotic. He has no empathy. He's you know he's he's a cannibal and he's, he's yeah he'd he's be clinically insane. Yeah, he's a psychopath. Yeah. yeah. Can would you be able to do the job? Just would it just be based on books? Because you surely can't read people. Well, I suppose he's very highly intelligent, high functioning, so he could probably pretend that he has emotional empathy by using cognitive empathy uh that's what i thought yeah yeah (laughs) so you can be a psychopath and have cognitive empathy yeah but you can't you don't actually when when they do brain scans on them their brains literally don't light up and respond in the same way that that ours would i've been told that before that my brain doesn't light up at all <laughs> despite despite every all the substances i had in my 20s 
<laughs> it just goes through kind of like you've left a tractor on, but it's not going anywhere. <laughs> um, I think we did one thing we did want to get into was because horror horror is a huge genre, and I think that's that's one where people are affected mentally a lot. That the movies just tend to go, and now we carry on. You know, your rom coms are situations that everyone goes through anyway. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. Action yeah. films, you normally have, you know, heightened uh, interactions, but it's people who are trained. You know, you've got soldiers, cops, stuff like that. Mm. But horrors, especially the slasher genre, people yeah. are being put through a lot of mental stress. And you, in the sequels to them films, they don't tend to be then in therapy or <laughs> they tend to just let it either have an unbelievably awful effect, like in the Halloweens. Mm. Or kind of, kind of, they feel a bit sad for a bit, but they're okay, like in Scream. Yeah, you see like one moment. In fact, you hardly see any grief in Scream. Yeah, <laughs> one point one of their sisters is the one that's strung up in the garage. Yeah, so uh, it's the cop Dewey. Uh, yeah. David Arquette. His sister was literally murdered while he was supposed to be protecting that house as well. Yeah, and in- and they don't even. Ad- they don't even side glance at, at that. They just move on. <laughs> well, maybe he owed her money and he's like, well, I don't have to give her that $20. I know. <laughs> That's all right. Swings around. Yeah. <laughs> Realistically, then, what happens to that? And I know you've not probably counseled a group of people attacked by a 1990s slasher, mm. uh, like a serial killer. Mm. But as a guest, what would you see? What would you say is the next like ten days and three months for those people coming out of that house and scream? You know, yeah. you want it not only you want your best your best friend to some, your boyfriend who you just lost your virginity to for Sydney. Uh and and he said, Oh, by the way, I'm the one who killed your mom as well. Yeah. Uh and he's probably in a gay relationship with Stu as well. Absolutely. That's, that's kind of insinuated. Yeah. Picked up on that this time around. <laughs> The sequel, the sequel to Scream comes out less than a year later. The turnaround was really quick on that. Mm. They're in college. <laughs> They've gone to college together, Sydney and uh, and uh, the funny one, Jamie Kennedy, you know, the one who loves movies. Um, and they and she's got a new boyfriend as well. <laughs> Not a site of therapy at no. all. Well, if you look at Sydney Prescott, her compounded trauma upon trauma is it's relentless. She would have certainly complex PTSD. <laughs> so, well, let's just let's just go, Karen. Someone's writing a book on her because let's let's go through this. She has had her mother murdered, and then wasn't well, her mother raped and murdered? Her, her mother was raped and murdered by her boyfriend and her boyfriend's gay lover. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, her testimony put Cotton Weary in jail incorrectly. So she's made him. Uh, uh, someone lose a whole year of their life that's on her because she gave the wrong testimony then she starts seeing a new boyfriend the mum of her old boyfriend shows up along with a new friend in her friend group uh, and kills her new boyfriend and tries to kill her and also kills their close friend Jamie Kennedy mm. and then in the third one her half brother turns up informs her that so and all the family has gone at this point i think her dad's still wandering around but he's he's pretty useless he's pretty yeah unavailable isn't he yeah i i think well 
if if you look at the first one, people are getting murdered. Probably don't go on a business trip. I don't think if it's <laughs> if it's the anniversary of your daughter's of your wife's death, uh, maybe that's how he's coping with it. He's like he's going off for a few drinks, but then <laughs> that alone. But then the third one, her half brother turns up, says you do have a brother, but I'm the one who gave the information to Billy and Stu to murder our mum, yeah. and then she has to kill him. Uh, the fourth one is her cousin is the murderer. <laughs> it's Emma Roberts. She she writes a book about getting over trauma. <laughs> yeah. Comes back to Woodsboro. Her cousin murders a whole bunch of people. Uh, and, tr- like, really, that's the closest Sydney's come to dying, I think, is the fourth one. Um, and then I think the, fi- the fifth one, she just turns up at the end because she's like, she comes back because, spoilers, if you haven't seen the Scream franchise, this is a biggie. David Arquette gets killed. That's a biggie. Wait, have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, because I've actually spoiled it for you. <laughs> but in the fifth one, David Arquette calls her to warn her, like, someone's going around killing. She's mm. out jogging with the kids. No. Mm. And she's married to the handsome guy from number three. Yeah. Is that really, if, if that's the life that that person's lived, are they just in a chair on Prozac at this point? I mean, I would be. <laughs> I think she's the most resilient person ever to have been imagined. Because, you know, when she goes off to that fortress at one point. And she- yeah, no, so number three, she becomes a counsellor uh, yeah. for people and she's she's completely off. Uh, she's off the reserve and the, the her character arc in that is that she's got a bunch of security and she makes sure all the doors are closed and at the end the wind blows the door open and she's like, I'm just going to leave her. Yeah. Which again, resilience. Probably don't don't tell women that. That's not the message don't to leave, women. Don't leave <laughs> the back doors. If your back doors open, no, don't leave them. But even when she's a recluse and she's got all that safety around her, which is probably a good choice, she's trying to help other people by being a counsellor, well, but also is. just re-traumatizing herself. Oh yeah, yeah, I've not thought about that. Yeah listen to some stories about more <laughs> people being abused and killed and would wouldn't most of her if most of their calls come through and someone's like oh you know my, my husband has you know threatened my kids uh you'd be like oh as he my my boyfriend stabbed me six times and you know started shagging one of our mates and then told me to kill my mum but oh is your husband burnt the toast so i'm sorry to hear about that <laughs> i wonder if she asks if they're the perpetrators are wearing the mask. <laughs> and if not, it's the wrong line. <laughs> well, she, she, it's just Ghostface that she helps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have been that would have been an interesting show if Ghostface called and she just kind of talked him through his problems. Yeah. Maybe you don't need to kill people. Yeah. Maybe there's another way. <laughs> well, that, that constant fear, because by now, it kind of makes sense that people who like dressing up as Ghostface keep coming after her mm. because it's a thing. It's not It's not like you Jason's where it's the one guy or you Michael Myers. Mm. It's just people going, do you know what? People keep dressing up as this guy and trying to kill this woman. Should we give it a go? <laughs> so wouldn't you be in constant fear all the time? I think you'd be in constant fear and hypervigilant after the first one. Mm. And then I imagine they could have done a whole thing where people didn't believe her the second time because she might have just been you know ptsd replaying it yeah. but unfortunately it was reality yeah but- i think that they kind of 
because the script was sped up to be out the next year, they they didn't have enough time to because there's she she goes into uh, obviously she starts studying theatre because it's like why wouldn't you do something where you're just vulnerable and emotional more instead of <laughs> yeah. just just study like English lit and lang you'll be all right <laughs> sit at the back of the class you know <laughs> there's a bit where everyone's running around her in the theatre. Uh, and at one point, Ghostface turns up, and even as the audience, we don't know, is this her imagining Ghostface? Oh, yeah. But they don't really play with that, I think. Mm-hmm. That would have been more interesting if even even while Ghostface is, like, in front of her getting ready to kill her, she's like, I don't know who this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what you're saying is the screen movie's dog shit. <laughs> well, I think the reason it's the most scary is because it's people just doing terrible things to people. At least yeah. horrors, it's like, oh, it's a, you know, nun on her back or something. What <laughs> 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 yeah. happened? Would if if someone came up to you and said, like, there's a painting of a nun and it's come alive, yeah. uh, and it's you know it's possessed my kid, which is bad because uh, I haven't, I've, I'm all done on my holiday. I've used all my holiday up, mm. but this is costing me money now. Where do you go as a therapist for that? Like, what's the well, next step? My first question would be, I need to see the child, because what's happening to them if you're saying it's possessed? <laughs> oh, so it's it's a worry of something might be happening. Yeah. But at no point at no point are you like, this might be your classic possessed nun. Nun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> But I do, I, yeah, kind of like a lot of the horror films, sometimes when they lean into the... Sometimes the police are really stupid where it's like, no, look, Candyman has literally just come in the building and ripped everyone apart, and they're still like, um, I don't think there's a Candyman. <laughs> no, but do you remember a few years ago where... Um, Candyman was killed everyone. <laughs> no, but in America, I think it was in America, people started dressing up as clowns. Yeah. Going around and... So that copycat stuff could actually. Yeah, I was wondering who that is walking behind you in that. Um... <laughs> that door's scary, actually. <laughs> yeah, that is quite weird. <laughs> Especially that head that keeps popping in. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, have you have you looked at clowns? Uh, fucking huge in films. Like, if you're mm. starting out low budget horror, mm. it's much easier to dress someone as a clown because the the outfits are red, readily available. Than it is to you know create a werewolf or you know a vampire or something like that. That's a good point. I didn't think that was part of the reason. But have you have you ever treated anyone with uh, what's it called clown, clown? There is a word for clown phobia. Yeah, I don't know what it is actually. Wow, and you've got a PhD. I know. <laughs> have you got a master's? Let you down. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's something like color. It's not colorophobia. Color. Um, that might be the duck one. Clownophobia. Um, I know I, I've used this against someone because my ex was actually terrified of clowns. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Did you ever uh, dress as well? Only if I, like, I wanted the bed. Yeah. Col- colophobia, C-O-L-U-R-O-P-H-O-B-I-A, um, is like a huge thing as well. Yeah. Um, which is why it is so successful. I don't yeah. know if you've seen any of the it. Terrifying. But he's yeah. more terrifying as the clown than when he's, you know, a huge spider. Um why do you know why we're afraid of clowns? Is it? I don't know. My my mind goes instantly to a really dark place of like, you know, childhood and play. Yeah. And how that can be used in a sinister way. Yeah, because 
because the 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 iconography of a clown is of innocence and mm. childhood, but it's not a child dressed as a clown. It's no. it's the they use the physical behavior, I guess, of you know, because when you're a child and you learn you learn how to move, you a lot of the time you exaggerate it because you're still getting used to those movements. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly craving attention, you know, especially as a youngest child. That's why I got into stand-up and why I currently have a podcast, Natalie. <laughs> and you tell I'm constantly craving attention. Not at all. <laughs> In fact, if I send you some money, can we turn this into a session? <laughs> um, well, yeah, that, so the behavior, the cl- clowns aren't, they don't act naturally, do they? Because they're, they're often silent as well. Mm. Um, oh that's a good point as well yeah that they don't speak so you, you can't really work out what their intentions are yeah and it'd be kind of weird if, if you saw a clown like over the road looking at you mm. I don't know what's weirder if you went over and said what are you looking at and they stayed silent or they were just like a guy who's like oh no I'm just chilling you're right <laughs> that'd be more ominous because it'd be like hey, you're you're dressed as a fucking clown <laughs> the lack of awareness would be yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to ask you about because I think Hollywood gets this wrong quite a bit is um, DID dissociative identity disorder Yeah, all the, all the time mm-hmm. It's so this is um, kind of where people have multiple personalities and a lot of the time they'll have like an extra power because of it or you know splits quite bad for this there's a mm. the james mcavoy film yeah where each different personality has like even different heart heart rates i think and stuff mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. um and they're all aware of each other as well yeah is that well one thing how common is it do you know um i don't know the actual statistics but it's it is rare um like one in three probably yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if if you're Not listening to this, household. if you're listening to this, you've got it. <laughs> um, but like with all things, it works on a continuum. So it starts off on one end with stuff like that we all have, you know, like dissociation. So the example that's always cited is when you're driving and you arrive at the destination, but you can't remember what you listen to or parts of the journey well that's you you tend to drink drive quite a bit don't you so is that why that happens i just sellotape my hands the way. <laughs> <laughs> just google maps will get me there <laughs> that's what auto drives for <laughs> um but yeah oh so that's like a, that is a smaller yeah that's the same not the same but that's what we all experience and then it can get more and more pervasive so you can have um depersonalization where you feel out of the self or derealization where you feel out of the world. And then if it gets really serious, that's when you can have DID. But there's two different types. So there's um, covert where they um, they have an awareness that they kind of take on different characteristics and stuff and even feel different things in the perception changes. Or then people that have over have, they're called altars, and they... They're Catholics. A lot of Catholicism <laughs> in, in the DID world. Um, and they don't they don't know what the other altars have done. They have different... They, they even have, like, different voices, prosody, tone. Oh, really? I don't think they'd have different heart. I mean, it's possible. I don't know. 
But that's, I think, quite a few of films that show DID, they seem to be aware of each other and even in within the brain, they'll create this like fake brain space where they can converse with each other and kind of plan who's controlling the body this week and who's doing this. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I thought it was more that they weren't aware of the other yeah. alters actions. Well, there's one, it's it's played for laughs, but there's a Jim Carrey comedy called Me, Myself and Irene. Oh, yeah. And he creates a, a split personality to protect himself. Mm-hmm. And it was, is that kind of something that the mind would be likely to do? Say you've gone through a massive trauma. So in this case, it's that his, his fiancé cheats on him on their, or his wife cheats on him on their wedding night and then gives birth to mm-hmm. three kids that clearly aren't his, and then she leaves with someone else. And it's all played for laughs. Yeah. But then he snaps because he's he's very mild-mannered and he takes everything. Mm. He snaps, and the new personality is one that is kind of a prick to everyone, rude, but has been designed to stand up for the Jim Carrey character. Mm. Is that Because that's kind of created with a purpose. It's like the brain went, I need this. Yeah. Is that is that likely to happen, or is it more just a, oh, and now I've created a guy, but he's an artist, and it's got nothing to do with the desires <laughs> of kind of what, what I needed. It's just no, that it that is. was a branch. Yeah, it's usually preservation. So it's um, a big risk factor would be pervasive trauma. I mean, that would be very late onset that one adult trauma could trigger DID. Um but yeah, like the brain will um, dissociative amnesia. People split off from traumas that have happened to them, and they can't remember them. Oh, I see them just you know shaking the blame. Amnesia week. Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> well, there's those people that have like other families, and and some of them it's obviously dissociative amnesia. But some of them, <laughs> just, some, yeah, some of that, some that's them. just a guy on Tinder who's like, oh my god, I. Completely forgot. It's <laughs> DID. I've had. A, I've never treated DID actually, but I've had people pretend. Oh really? Yeah. Ah, so would this be people who've been sent through the courts then, or? I've never had it as like a defence, but I've had it in people that um, malingerers, so people that present as though they have mental illness when they don't. Oh, that's a great insult. Oh. <laughs> Jamie, can you come round? I'm feeling. I'm actually feeling really depressed. I know that you're just a malingerer. Okay, so <laughs> don't you're not going to ruin my Saturday night because you're a fucking malingerer. No, my nan's died. Shut up, you malingerer. <laughs> <laughs> what great, what great new insult to a look. <laughs> That's oh, so, for Christmas. I guess that's something you have to be on the lookout all the time. And they do kind of, especially villains in movies, tend to fall back on that as well, don't they? Where they're like, oh, no, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. Or, mm. I mean, in, in in Scream 5, that's actually the the younger girl out of the two killers. She goes, eh, well, no, I was radicalised on the internet. And she kind of fakes that it was all him. Oh, really? I don't remember that bit. Oh. Uh, yeah, because you know you've got the boyfriend is the kind of... The, the killer who is obsessed with movies. Um, yeah. But it's also the other girl. And as they're about to shoot her, she's like, no, I was radicalised. You know, she tries to pass off all the blame. And oh, right. They, uh, that was just a, a weak way of me circling back to movies because I was getting really excited at calling people malingerers. <laughs> <laughs> one of the Allertons is going to be called a malingerer over Christmas dinner, aren't they? Oh, not just one. <laughs> 
They're getting it in their Christmas card. <laughs> Thanks for holding me back, you fucking malingerist. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, you mentioned like uh, amnesia there hmm. for a sec. I would like the born identity, right? So Hollywood obviously loves amnesia because it's instant drama. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Do they accurately reflect amnesia of uh, you can keep all your skills? Like he's a spy and he's like, I don't know my name. I don't know if I wank with my left or my right hand, but I can tell you that, like, outside there's probably a gun in there. I know that this guy weighs 200 pounds. I know, that, uh, like, is that a thing that happens or is amnesia more, there's a big chunk of everything gone? It does depend, but there is um, semantic memory versus um, episodic memory. So, like, people with dementia might not remember specific facts, but they'll remember like a an old dance routine or something because it's a different part of the memory. So actually, some of that's pretty accurate. So you can check if they've not got dementia by making them dance and calling them a malingerer. <laughs> I don't know what she's doing. You haven't got fucking dementia. Because <laughs> that, and also that... Um, Amnesia tends to, in movies, because you have to have a happy ending, it tends to be jarred back. Like, the memories tend to come flooding back Mm. from, like, either revisiting the place that a trauma happened or, Mm. uh, you know, they'll they'll see something that is similar to... is Is it more a case of it takes years or it might never come back or can that happen where it's... You know, I think Jason Bourne, he just remembered the fellow that he was meant to go shoot. And it's like, I remember everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say again, it would take time. If it was from trauma, then you'd have to do a lot of reprocessing to be able to bring it back. Um, Is that just the opus trying to make more money, though, where they're like, no, 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 no. You need 10 more seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my friend also needs to see you as well because they're, they're getting a new car. Yeah. <laughs> but if it was like a brain trauma or like a head injury, then... Potentially, the damage would mean that it that it probably wouldn't come back. Which, to circle back, Joker has a brain injury in this this version of the film. Uh, yeah, was he? He was being as a kid. You find out, and he was yeah. tied to a radiator. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which has unlocked unlocked a new kink for me. Sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> didn't Boy George do that to someone? Is it? Is this Boy George's origin story? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're trying to make us empathise with Boy George. <laughs> oh, hang on. Allegedly, I have to Allegedly. say that. Allegedly, someone did claim that Boy George tied them to a radio. Yeah. And I'm sure the directors of this caught wind of it and said, let's do that. That's a good plot. Uh, but yeah, looking into the, the Joker then. So this is, it's weird because it, it reflects mental illness. That At first, he, he's vulnerable. And I think... A, a lot of criticism I've heard of Hollywood is, can you stop showing people with mental illnesses as uh, as villains and people who create harm when actually they're more likely to be the victim? Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. And and this the message of this, although it does make you empathise with Arthur and it gives his trauma history, it still obviously makes him a very violent man. And actually, the percentage of people with psychiatric disorders that commit crimes and violence is less than 5%. I was up your game, people with psychiatric disorders. Oh. 
They're just not very violent. <laughs> Let's get out there. Get their numbers up. <laughs> but yeah, kind of, I suppose if you're, because it's a bit, it's attached to, you know, DC and comic books. That's, mm. that's, that's one problem is you have to make it sensational. But underneath that, they constantly tell and showing you the areas that this man could have been helped. You know, one, he's, he's a primary care for his mum. Yeah. And there's no one there looking out for him there. Yeah. He's actually going to these visits with someone who doesn't give, not only does she not give a shit about him, but then she's like, also our funding's been cut. So. See you never. Yeah. yeah. Whereas at least in the UK, it'd be like, funding's been cut, but we've set up a phone number. And, you know, if you call this on a Wednesday at 5 a.m., there might be someone in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think we'd just have a, we've gone from all this help to none. Yeah. See ya. I think there's loads of moments in it where you think that it could have been a, it's a missed turning point opportunity. And actually it does make, did you empathize with him in this? Yeah. I think because they, they have so many great moments where you, you just feel so sorry for him, especially with his condition. There's, and there's, there's moments where he, he can have like a, a human moment, like the bit on the bus near the start where he's, he's, this child, he's pulling faces at the child and you can see, you know, he doesn't have to. He could be like, get the fuck out of my face. But he wants to entertain this child yeah. for a completely altruistic reason. Mm -hmm. He's enjoying it. The child is enjoying it. And then the mum is a complete dick about it. Yeah. And the bit that is heartbreaking is when his laugh kicks in. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Whacking Phoenix is great in it because you can see someone who is trying to stop that laughter and, and the act of trying to stop it is making it worse, which you, you see that with kind of ticks and people with, you know, all kinds of physical issues where just trying to get it to stop makes exactly. it even worse. Yeah. And is that a real, is that a real um, thing that can happen to the, the laugh? Yeah. That he has. Yeah. It's called pseudo bulbar affect. Oh. <laughs> and it means, well, he has a brain injury. And I think that speaks to the level of abuse physical abuse he probably had yeah. as a child and he's he's obviously he's pushed that down hasn't he because in his mind his mum's always looked after him and he's he's severely delusional anyway which they show you at the start that he's in uh he's at robert de niro's show and he brings him down and he hugs him and he says he's proud of him uh, um, which again male comedian so I, I was watching like god that'd be nice <laughs> <laughs> he says something like or in his fantasy he says something like i wish i had a kid like you Mm. yeah i wish uh, yeah something like that yeah. yeah so they kind of it's not a subtle movie <laughs> no because they they show you do you know the one thing i because obviously they set up that he has all these delusions i actually thought it was really weak of them when when they show that he's he's made up that relationship with zz beats mm -hmm. the girlfriend mm. and then they do the stupid fight club bit of like re-showing them scenes where she's not there yeah. In, in case the dum dums are like, wait, what happened? It's like, no, you you should have understood that. Yeah, like, from the off when she knocks at his door and says, "You're really funny, Arthur." Anyone with half a brain would go, "This is not real. What's happening now?" But it's almost more heartbreaking to watch back all those moments that did, yeah. that weren't real. Like the, the bit where he's, he's shagging in a car park and it's just him with his trousers down next to like a Ford Fiesta. <laughs> Just saying, saying to no one, did you? Did, did you? 
I want to see the reality of it. Like they're doing dishes and she's been drying, but he's just been dropping dishes on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) But he does know that that's not real because he never tells anybody about it. Mm. Yeah. He never tells the therapist. So I don't think he's completely delusional. He's just like escaping to these fantasies. Yeah, I guess kind of. Yeah, because he's not surprised when she doesn't know him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I hadn't thought of that actually. Yeah, because it's yeah. like he he knows that he he's not on the Robert De Niro show at the start. Mm. He's he's just his life is so shit that he's just escaping for a little bit. Yeah. Um, is that healthy? Because I've imagined I've been in a pub the whole time. <laughs> We've been. <laughs> you are. <laughs> and all the barmaids like you're not barred from here, Jamie. <laughs> Do you think you're yeah, really funny? <laughs> there was was a point where I was watching it this time and I thought is all of it in his imagination because when he you know what right at the end just before he shoots Murray yeah he starts saying that I killed those three people and you can see a guy in the background going like this cut cut but the cameras keep rolling and you just thought oh somebody was admitting to murder on a on like Mm -hmm. you know Graham Norton, <laughs> cut the, they'd cut the live stream. But then I think that's too... Greg Davies would be there like, oh, this is awkward. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think like you can read you can read it all as is is any of it real? Yeah. And you could even like that's I do like films where you, you go, oh, what is real and not? Because they show him saying he was happier in the hospital towards the start, and then they cut to him banging his head in the hospital. And the very last scene is him running around killing people in the hospital with blood yeah, on his feet. And it could feet. just be this whole thing has been him in one escape from the hospital. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely, they play with, because maybe they do the easy Beats thing to go, this is obviously made up. So that the stuff, because you, you never really know, you know the guy who gives him the gun, the other clown? Yeah. They kind of suggest that he, he didn't give him that gun at all. And it, when you look at their relationship, why would he give yeah why would he and it's more realistic that he has gone to him and asked for a gun instead and he said no and he's got the gun from somewhere else and then he he shows up and says they show up because his mom died and you're like oh that's weird why would he be empathetic towards him but actually he wants he wants information about what was has he been lying to him about the police so that's kind of more muddled that's more you have to kind of work out well what's true there yeah is he even fat, that guy? Is the other yeah. guy even short? It's all up for discussion. It's all up for debate. Well, there's the, I think the argument to it not being, it not taking place, the, the TV stuff not taking place, is surely the the little fella would have gone to the police straight away. Yeah, and there's a few things about the police. Like, um, obviously, that city's crime-riddled. And then when he kills those people on the train it's all over the news front page which feels a little bit like a narcissistic fantasy if there's people being you know killed and pillaged everywhere yeah if you're that's obviously a train line that kind of um you know economically deprived people use that's not going to be the first time that some coked up city boys would have been shot (laughs) you know chances are they'd they'd be stabbed for their money anyway if they're being that level of dickheads 
yeah. Um, that level of, like you say, there's there's obviously not a lot of food. There's not a lot of resources. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's that. It could just be his like dream of. It, I mean, it could be him. Him sat there dreaming out the whole thing. If he sat on the train watching a woman being harassed, he, he yeah. he's having the dream of well, maybe I can step in and be the protector and kill them and then it'll be in the news and then I'll get on Robert De Niro's show and then this and then yeah. this and then this. And that fits with, I was trying to diagnose it and I was thinking it does fit narcissistic personality disorder and they always put themselves as the hero and the centre point of every story. So that would fit that I'm, you know. I don't know why you're pointing at me as you say this. <laughs> This is weird. Is this is this why you insisted we cover this? <laughs> yeah, we must do a film with somebody that's. <laughs> okay, so yeah, that I mean that that makes sense. That it would be, um, a lot of it is in his dream because especially the cops turning up. I guess if you if you've committed a crime, or even if you've dreamed of committing a crime, you you also dream about the, you know, getting past the cops, but they're onto you. But yeah. Actually, especially in 1981, it'd make no sense for the police to be questioning them about them murders. You know, they're busy. Yeah, very busy. Oh, good point. All right, so is that is that kind of what you you're saying is probably the best film right now for us to psychoanalyze? I think so. Yeah. All right. In that case, then we're gonna we're gonna test it against some questions just to see if this really is the best film okay. this is uh, i don't know if you've heard about this but there's the rigorous test that films uh have to go forth it was invented by freud yeah you know, greg yep. freud mm -hmm. um, Gregory Freud, the lesser known <laughs> yeah he, he thought it was all about having sex with your dad not your mum. that was the thing it wasn't picked up as much <laughs> he just had a sexy dad <laughs> All right, so question one, we've got six six big questions. Mm -hmm. uh, does anyone have iconic hair that transcends time? Um, I'd say one of them cops, actually, the thinner cop has really good hair. <laughs> Glad that you paid such close attention to it. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's quite nice when it's green, when he's in the red suit. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Looks quite dapper. I mean, the Joker as an icon transcends time anyway. Doesn't he? He's been around since what the sixties, mm. and you know we've had him as Nicholson in the eighties, and Heath Ledger looked fit. Yeah, uh, Jared Leto not so much. Mm. Uh, is there a scene where chugging a Guinness would help? Where's the best scene for someone to just down a Guinness and everyone will calm down? Maybe Murray just before he's shot, just to take the edge. <laughs> yeah. Or the mum. <laughs> that's her. That's her piece out. <laughs> Just before she's smothered. <laughs> as as she's being smothered, yeah. she's turned it into a waterboard. Yeah. Uh, is there a sexy sex scene? There's not. I don't know if I'd want to see the imaginary sex scene between him and uh, the the neighbour. Uh, although that again, that would be funny if you did had that showed that scene and then showed it in the. She wasn't there. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like humping a pillow, crying. <laughs> uh, is the room for the throat rip from Roadhouse? Uh, right, so where's the best scene where again maybe oh maybe when he goes to see Bruce Wayne, young Batman. <laughs> again, I've ne I've never seen Roadhouse. 
So, Roja, all you need to know is that there's a scene where Patrick Swayze rips a man's throat out. Um, With his bare hands. Yeah, so the whole film, they've been building up to this. People have, it's like a rumor. People have been like, I heard he ripped a guy's throat out. And like, no, nah, that didn't happen. That didn't. And then when he's fighting the main guy at the end, he just rips his throat out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So PG. Um, <laughs> so where, where would you put it? I don't know if that would, that would be out of place because there's so much violence. It, yeah. It's, I mean, well, it, it's it's violent, but it's not. It kind of. I think that's why I got compared to Scorsese. It's it, it's very quick acts of very strong violence. Yeah, isn't true. it? It's not. It's not like throughout the film, which kind of it kind of creates that feeling that there could be violence at any point. Um, kind that's of like. A do, good point. <laughs> thank you. I did study film that. You know. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Doctor Nat. <laughs> uh, where'd it be a good throat rib? Um, maybe just when the police are chasing them down the stairs. I'm still thinking of the mum. Could the mum rip someone's throat out? Like oh. Maybe they brought her the wrong food order. She when, loses it. When he goes to see the, the guy uh, at the hospital and he won't give him the files. There you go. Oh, yeah. Brian Tyree Henry. He's a great actor, but it's just a little cameo. I want I want my files. Boom, throat rip. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Now... Hopefully, I know I know what your answer is for this. Mm. Is there an absolute banger in it? What a great song. Um now this this caused some controversy, this movie. Because yeah, do you remember what he was dancing to on the stairs? Do you know who sings it? It's Gary Glitter. It's Gary Glitter, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so dark. <laughs> Yeah, that, so uh, in the in, in the publicity, they were like, "Oh no, we didn't, we didn't know that it was." But they obviously they knew it was done on purpose to push because this made a billion. You know, this was really really successful, and it was because of all that controversy of like, if young men go see this, they'll go out and start killing each other because there's never been a violent movie before. <laughs> um, so that uh, that was part of the marketing, I think, to be like, and they've got them dancing to Gary Glitter, but on the on the off side of that, it is a banger. Yeah, but I didn't even put that together. That is... Yeah, it's grim, isn't it? Statement, yeah. I mean, you got Send in the Clowns. Yeah, I was just saying that. <laughs> Which is a good um, one. The Gary Glitter song. <laughs> I mean, again, -na 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 -na. Hey, well, I mean, you, you verbally said you don't agree with that. Uh, yeah. But I have, I have less going for me in my life. Uh, and the last one, is there a quote you can say in your wedding vows? Um. You're on seven medications. They <laughs> I had uh, I had two. Uh, I haven't been happy one minute in my entire fucking life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but that could be until now. Yeah, until now. Make it nice. And doesn't the bride look great? <laughs> or... <laughs> I've been the man of the house for as long as I can remember. I take good care of my mother. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a red flag, is it? But no, I, think, I think it's your one. I've been on seven medications. <laughs> that must be something. <laughs> oh, well, then, yeah, I think it's passed the test on that. So it's a great film. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Natalie Corley. Thank uh, you for having me. Loved it. Now, before you go, mm. uh, I found out, and obviously you're very shy, so you wouldn't tell us this normally, but you've got a book coming out. 
Yes, I do. Do you want to tell us? And just to let you know, and this is, I want to say hello to our new listeners in India, Kenya, and Mexico. That Hi, guys. And also hello to Rosie, who I met at a house party last week, who also listens to the podcast. Hello, Rosie. Uh, who did tell me, I don't know much about films, but I do like the podcast. <laughs> well, there you go. So it's hi, Rosie. Non-film fans. Uh, so what are, what's the book about? What's what's it called? It's called Just About Coping, um, a real-life drama from the psychotherapist chair. Oh. So it's, it covers 10 years of me training to become a psychotherapist in the NHS, and then the memoir bit is my chaotic traumas and associated weird things that yeah, I've two, done. two years of you following your real uh, ambition you've become an ice cream van driver that's yeah. correct yeah that would be cool ice cream van write that down <laughs> yeah what's your problem i've got type 2 diabetes oh maybe i'll take these hundreds of thousands back <laughs> <laughs> oh that's exciting when's the book out july 2024 on the 25th. July 24th, but it's on the 25th. So we're going to queue up at Waterstones, like when the Harry Potter book came out. Yeah. Ready for it. Just be me and you there, banging on yeah. the house. And yeah. you've actually, you've said before about J.K. Rowling, you wrote the Harry Potter books. You actually have a lot of common with it. And you Do not support I love her No, that's exciting. It's really exciting. So can you, do you know if you can pre-order that? I know sometimes you don't find out information about that. but Um, You can't at the moment, but if you go to nataliecawley.com, you can sign up to my mailing list. All right, that's nataliecawley, C-A-W-L-E-Y dot dot com. com. Yeah, not .co.uk, not .org, because that's the organisation. Do sign up to the mailing list. Please do. um, And every week you send out a different um, problem that, someone can fake having to escape like <laughs> conversations is that right yes yeah so we'll be studying we'll be doing chorophobia next week the, the yeah, fear we'll, of clowns and we'll be covering how calling everyone malingerers has gone at the Allerton christmas table <laughs> <laughs> oh look at this fucking malinger over here <laughs> thank you for the plug i appreciate it you're welcome thank you for coming on uh, i loved it I, thanks I, for hopefully me. uh we'll get you back on with some more uh issues that people have in film. Uh, Thanks very much, Dr. Nat. Thank you, Jamie. Bye. Bye.